Welcome. You are listening to Metro Christian Church Podcast. Connecting to God, connecting to people, connecting people to God. Hey, aloha, Metro Online Ohana. Glad to see you again. Thank you for joining us again this week. Man, so many things are going on. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, so go ahead and get a Bible out. Go to the New Testament, the very first book, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Go to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to continue this series that Pastor Brandon started last week, and it's called More Than Happy. And I think this is like the perfect series coming out of this uh, pandemic, if you will, or just you know, entering into summer. Because you know, a lot of things are, are lifting. Things are changing uh, almost weekly as we speak. Travel restrictions, etc. And if there's any kind of an indicator to show what people are really looking to, to, uh, to get involved with uh, as we're coming out of this, um, you look at where they're spending their money. You know, when I looked at uh, even the travel, as people are beginning to travel, the, the two top destinations over this uh, last Memorial Day weekend, that if you're traveling from the mainland, guess where the number one destination was for those traveling from the mainland? Yeah, right here, Hawaii. They're, they're coming to Hawaii. And if you're from Hawaii, where do you think the top destination is for those who are traveling from Hawaii? Yeah, inter-island. In other words, the, the, the ninth island. Or let me be more specific, Las Vegas. <laughs> so the two top destinations is Hawaii and Las Vegas. And uh, it just kind of tells me one thing, that we're all looking for the same thing. How to regain a sense of normalcy? How to regain happiness. Now, how Las Vegas translates into normalcy and happiness for Hawaii, that's a whole other message. But, you know, everyone seems to want to be happy as we're coming out of all of this stuff. We're living in a culture today that is so commercialized and entertainment-oriented that we're trying to look for happiness in all these areas. In fact, you know, Mickey D's, McDonald's jumped into the happiness business over 40 years ago, when in 1979 they introduced the, you know what it's called, yeah, the Happy Meal. And, uh, you know, there was, uh, in 2012, they did a study, and this is one of the first times that McDonald's released any kind of statistics about selling and their sales for Happy Meals. And, and get this, in their busiest hour across the nation, in McDonald's' busiest hour from noon to 1 p.m., they recorded five thousand three hundred happy meals that they sold per minute came out to like 89 happy meals that they're throwing out there per second and somebody said you know if you measure the hamburger and all that they put in there uh, you stack it up one on top of the other it would reach over 300 miles above the earth I mean that's nuts because people are looking for this happy meal I want you to hear a, uh, a satirical uh, uh, article written by a guy named John Ortberg, and he's written many, many uh, very uh, spiritual things, but this is such a, such a uh, satirical look at people's hunger for happiness. He says, when we take our children to the shrine of the golden arches, they always lust for the meal that comes with a cheap little prize, a combination christened in a moment of marketing genius, the happy meal. And you're not just buying fries. McNuggets and a dinosaur stamp. You're buying happiness. Their advertisements have convinced my children that they have this little McDonald's-shaped vacuum in their souls. 
Our hearts are restless till they find their rest in a happy meal, says their children. I try to buy off the kids sometimes. Uh, I I tell them that I'll order just the food and then give them a quarter to buy a little toy on their own. But the cry goes out. I want a happy meal. And all over the restaurant, people are craning their necks to look over at this tight-fisted, penny-pinching, cheapskate of a parent who would deny a child the meal of great joy. The problem with a happy meal is that the happy wears off and they need a new fix. No child discovers the lasting happiness in just one. Oh, remember that happy meal that we had? Or what great joy I found there? No. Happy meals bring happiness only to McDonald's. You ever wonder why Ronald McDonald wears that silly grin? (laughs) 20 billion happy meals, that's why. But you know when you get older, you don't get any smarter. Your happy meals just get a little bit more expensive. Everybody's looking for happiness. Everybody's searching for happiness. You know, the reality, folks, I looked one of the the latest polls taken out all across the country. The reality is, in America, Americans are less happy. They are the most unhappy in the past 50 years than they've ever been in the last 50 years. Only 14% of Americans today are happy. And the challenge for Christians is that when we bring this desire for happiness into our, our relationship with God, where we, we use it to define our relationship with God. And so we say, fix my family, God, or heal my illness, God, or God, can you just make me happy? And preachers, when they deliver messages, they don't want to talk about issues that make people feel uncomfortable like sin or guilt or sexual immorality or anything that's that's sensitive that makes people feel like uh, that they're feeling sad. People don't want to feel sad, they say. So we won't talk about things that's going to make them feel uncomfortable. And the congregation will tell them, well, tell us something that will make us happy. And that creates a difficult time for a 21st century Christian to understand the second beatitude that we're going to talk about today. Second beatitude on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 4, chapter 5 at verse 4. He said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. A little translation of that actually reads like this. Happy are the unhappy. That's an absolute paradox. It's so uh, contradictory and and complete opposites, and yet it's true. Happy are the unhappy. You know, the Christian life is filled with paradoxes. In order to live, you got to die. In order to to love, you got to love your enemies. The greatest is the one who is least among you. You know, we even hear uh, uh, spiritual principles such as, it's more blessed to give than to receive. A theologian named A.W. Tozer uh, wrote this about the the Christian and the, uh, the paradoxical life that Christians live. He said, the Christian is strongest when he's weakest, and weakest when he's strong. And though poor, he has the power to make others rich. But when he becomes rich, his ability to enrich others vanishes. He has the most after he has given most away, and he has the least when, his, when he possesses most. He is highest when he feels lowest, and most sinless when he is most conscious of sin. The Christian is wisest 
when he knows that he knows not and knows least when he has acquired the greatest amount of knowledge. He sometimes does most by not doing anything and goes furthest when standing still. In heaviness, he manages to rejoice and keeps his heart glad even in sorrow. The Christian life is full of paradoxes. And Matthew 5, as it records the Beatitudes, as it's known, or the Sermon on the Mount, is all about the paradoxical life of the kingdom of God. You know, contextually, uh, before we get into the text itself, you've got to understand how we got to this point and why uh, Jesus actually talked about this. If you look at Matthew, and you open your Bibles to the book of Matthew, and, you know, you'll see his birth in chapters 1 and 2, um, and, and then John the Baptist appears in chapter 3. In chapter 4, Matthew, uh, Jesus is being tested in the wilderness. He comes out of that, out of the temptations of the devil, and then he goes right into ministry. He begins to preach. And in Matthew 4, at verse uh, 17, it says, From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So his full message, the topic that he talks about, wherever he goes, is about the kingdom of heaven is here or coming near. He calls his disciples. He does some healings, some miracles. And then we get to chapter 5, where thousands of people have come to hear him preach. In fact, the Bible says he moves from Nazareth, a smaller town, to Capernaum, a larger town where there's this hillside. And he sits up on this hillside where thousands of people come just to listen to this one man preach. And in my mind, I'm thinking, why? Why are so many people interested in what this guy has to say? And I think it's because Jesus was actually going to preach about a different way of living. Everyone was looking for a better way to live. You know, they were living at a time where they were being oppressed by the Roman government. They were even being challenged by their own religious leaders. There were rules and regulations and rituals and pharisaical laws that added to the laws of Moses, and, and nobody knew what to do. It's almost like the goal line kept moving about how to be good. I mean, sound familiar sometimes in the life that we're living right now? But there are all these things going on, and, and, and people just wanted a, a different way of living. They were tired of looking at what they were living under. But you notice what Jesus preached. In the midst of that context, Jesus didn't unveil an instructional manual of, well, you should do this and you, you shouldn't do that. He actually begins to unfold in the Sermon on the Mount, not about the qualities you need to enter the kingdom of God. He actually starts talking about it and he outlines the blessings that awaited those who were going to be true disciples of God. Those who, who really desired to be a people of God. And these were the blessings of the kingdom that was placed in stark contrast to what they were seeing in the world and what the world was offering them. You know, last week, Pastor Brandon said, the big idea for this series is this, that being blessed is better than being happy. And let me echo that. In fact, let me take it one step further about what blessings really are. I look, bless, look at blessings as being an exclamation of an inner peace and a joy that comes from being right with God. In other words, it's the results that happen when one's soul is favored by God, even in the midst of challenges, even in the midst of persecutions and 
pandemics and sicknesses and illnesses and corrupt government leaders. And it's, it's this inner peace that we have with God, which I consider to be blessings. And I think this series and even this message today is perfect for the time that we're living in. You see, I read the news and I keep up with what people are saying here and there. And, you know, people are very upset about the times that we're living in right now. And there's so many lessons that we can learn from these early Christians. You know, we complain about the adversities that we got to face today. But it's nothing. It's nothing compared to what those people had to live through 2,000 years ago. The audience that Jesus was preaching to. The oppression that they felt from the government who looked for every opportunity to shut them down. And not only governmental leaders, but even their own religious leaders were looking at shutting down movements. And not just shutting them down by censoring them. Anybody who tried to come close uh, to, to a movement that would oppose the authority that was in place, they'd be punished. I mean, just think about it, all right? I mean, just think about it. Do you know of anybody today in the United States, as we're talking about here, that has come close to anything that Jesus experienced or that Peter or Paul experienced? Do you know of anybody, because of their, their wanting to stand up for what they believe in, that, that's been jailed and burned? You know, these Christians were burned. They were tied up to stakes. They were smothered with tar. They were lit on fire by Emperor Nero. You know, anybody that's been tied to a stake and burned and subjected to torture and whipped, you know, if anybody that's been crucified, I mean, these guys went through some really tough times. But you notice when Jesus spoke to them, he spoke to them of the Beatitudes. And it's the same thing that speaks to us today. Basically, what he says is this, that as citizens of God's kingdom, because the kingdom of heaven is coming, the kingdom of heaven is near, that as citizens of God's kingdom is not about being rebellious or revolutionaries or anarchists that stand against the government. He's actually saying, in the midst of all of that, he says, live your lives as contrarian Christians. Let me explain that. A.W. Tozer, he says this, that as, as a Christian living in this world today, that if we are to be victorious as a son of heaven among men on earth, we must not follow the common pattern of mankind, but rather the contrary. We shouldn't be responding and acting according and like, like others here on earth. We are citizens of heaven. We live a contrarian lifestyle. And so when it comes to the Beatitudes, what did Jesus mean then? What did he mean when he said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted? You know, we experience grief and sadness over a variety of, of, of life circumstances. Whether it be a, the loss of a loved one or a marriage that has been irreparably broken that we cannot get, get it restored again. We go through grief when there is an, an unfulfilled desire, a financial failure or a business that is uh, shut down or someone in our family that has a terminal illness. It's interesting that when Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, the Bible uses nine different Greek words uh, when it speaks of mourning. But in this particular case, he uses this one Greek word, pantheo. Pantheo is a Greek word that is, um, 
is, is a word used when it, it's the, the deepest sorrow. It's like the strongest word that he could use for having a grief uh, moment and a sorrowful that's in your soul, when you're grief-stricken from your heart. Pantheo actually conveys this idea of a, a deep inner agony, not just an external kind of a grief. And it's a mourning that arises out of a godly sorrow where you have a, a consciousness in your heart that, uh, that, that your heart's been broken d- due to a life that's been lived out in a rebellious way against the ways of God. A good example of that is David. When David was confronted by the prophet Nathan about his adulterous relationship with Bathsheba that led to the murder of Bathsheba's husband, you know, uh, David, it, it broke him. David went through, uh, and his soul was pantheo, was, was deeply stricken in agony. It wrecked him to the depths of his heart. Psalm 51 says this, For I know my transgression, says David, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. You can hear David's heart just being torn apart when he realized that his sin was sinning and rebelling against God. That it tore him up from the inside out. It wrecked his soul. That's an example of Pentheo. This mourning that Jesus talks about in Matthew 5. Let me ask you. Does your sin cause you to mourn? Does your sin cause you to mourn from the inside out? When was the last time that you mourned over the sin in your life? I remember going to... uh, Las Vegas, of all places, when I was still a judge on the bench, and they had a judicial conference uh, going on in Vegas. Never been to Vegas before. I went. I was a brand-new Christian, and while everyone else went out gambling and everything, I stayed in the hotel room, and I, I listened to worship music, and I opened up my Bible, and I began to read through the book of Acts, and I saw how Paul was this man, or he was Saul at that time, full of sin, persecuting the church. And God knocked him down, and God called him into ministry. And I remember in my heart, in that hotel room, I remember praying to Jesus, you know, Lord, man, I want to be used by God. But why do my sins disqualify me? I feel like my sins disqualify me from ever having to do anything to do with ministry. And I mourned over the sin in my life. I remember reading when, when God called Paul into the ministry, I, I remember saying to God, I said, you know, Lord, if you can use him, why can't you use me? And of course, as I say, the rest is history. You know, when you're a pantheo, when you, when you have this agony over your sins in life, it's a, a consciousness of your sin. And it can only happen if your heart has been made tender. That if you have a tender heart, That tender heart is brought about by an acknowledgement that you are actually poor in spirit. Remember Pastor Brandon talked about that last week? 
that those who are poor in spirit, in fact, go to Matthew 5. And I want to show you something, that sometimes we overlook this. You know, the Beatitudes um, aren't to be read just uh, proverbially, like one verse at a time. They're actually a progression of conditions of our heart where one is built on the other. Let me show you an example. So Matthew 5, the Beatitudes, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And when you have a, a, a heart that is poor in spirit, you are then able to mourn, which is what we're talking about today. You're able to mourn, and then you'll be comforted. And when you're able to mourn and be comforted, it said, blessed are those who are meek. So then you discover what meekness is, for they will inherit the earth. And when you discover what meekness is, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You cannot hunger and thirst for righteousness unless you are meek. You cannot get to be meek unless you mourn and, be, and are comforted. You cannot mourn unless you are poor in spirit. You see how it's a progression? And it starts with a tender heart. Your heart has been, has been made tender by acknowledging that, that, that you're nothing without God that allows you to pentheos to mourn deeply for the sins that you have. Here's how I'd like to say it. When you're convinced intellectually that you are spiritually bankrupt, you'll respond emotionally by mourning over your sinfulness. Let me say it again. When you're convinced intellectually that you are spiritually bankrupt when you're poor in spirit, you will then respond emotionally by mourning over your sinfulness. You begin to understand that your sinfulness is really a sin against a holy God, a God who loves you so much. Where you realize that you've really dishonored him by the choices that you made in life, by the attitudes that you carry, by the sense of self-righteousness that might be um, just eating away at your insides. See, the, the problem is this in our churches. Someone wrote it like this. He said, the problem that we're increasingly facing in our day is a conspicuous lack of seriousness concerning sin. In many places, even among Christians, sin is seemingly not taken seriously anymore. Oh, there are those churches where pastors rail against sin, but they have usually identified certain outward behaviors of which they disapprove while ignoring many of the more deadly attitudes of the heart, like pride and arrogance and self-righteousness and a judgmental spirit, this is not taking sin seriously. See, when we take sin seriously, it means that we are, are pentheo, we are in agony over the sins that we commit. We are in agony, there's this deep sense, this wretched sense in our hearts that we're carrying ourselves as being too self-righteous about ourselves, where our hearts have been shattered because of our sin against God, but it doesn't lead to despair. Now, here's an important point you got to catch, that when we are in pantheo, when we're in agony over our sin, it should not lead you to despair and hopelessness. That's where the devil wants you to go. When we have sorrow in our heart, it should be a sorrow that produces change or a sorrow that leads to repentance. Paul says that in 2 Corinthians. He says, I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God. 
so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. And so I love baptisms. You know, we just had three uh, uh, get baptized this last Sunday, and oh, what is, I, I miss that. I miss being with them and praying with them and, and standing in the water with them. And, you know, they're all at this moment where they realize the sins in their lives and they realize that they have to do something different. They realize that they have to come forward. And I will always ask someone when I baptize them, I ask them, what do you want to say to Jesus right now? Because Jesus is standing right here. What would you say to him? And without failure, every single one, with tears streaming down their faces, they say, I just want to say I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the things that I've done in my life. I want to say to Jesus, thank you. Thank you for loving me the way that you do even despite all the sins that's going on in my life. See, they're experiencing pentheo, this deep sorrow in their heart about the sins that had been going on, but it, yet it leads them to repentance. That's what Jesus is talking about here. But what keeps us from mourning? A couple of things I want to mention that, that keeps us from mourning. One, I think, is because we love sin. <laughs> we just like sin. Oh, we, we do things and we get away with it. And we think, well, you know, I didn't get caught. If, it's not that you're not sinning. You just didn't get caught. That's all. I remember telling Jared every time when he went to school, I would say, you better not mess up with some stuff because I'm going to know. And, you know, and he goes, oh, oh like, like he had this feeling that I'm watching over him the whole time. But, you know, sometimes we, we, we sin and we get away with it. We sin and we get away with it. We think, oh, it's no big deal, man. Kind of like, we kind of like living on that edge. You know, we, we, we like sin. It gives us a sense of control, you know, think that we, we're, we're better than, than, than anyone else. We're better than we, uh, we realize because we're actually getting away with stuff. Or sometimes we just want to blend in with the crowd. You don't, we don't want to live this contrarian Christian lifestyle. So we join in the gossip. We join in the, you know, the, the, the filthy jokes that are going on. We don't want to stand contrarian to our coworkers or our classmates. You know, we, we, we make light of things that really is actually breaking the heart of God. I think sometimes we, uh, we continue sinning because we like sinning. Or the other is this, procrastination. Yeah, I'll get to it. Yeah, you're, you're talking to me, Pastor. You know, uh, yeah, I, I got sin in my life, but yeah, I'll get to it. I mean, it's not that big a deal. I'm still alive, and I can. No, it is a big deal. Sin is a big deal. It's a big deal with God. That's why he sent his only son to suffer and die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. It's a big deal with God. Because when he sent his son Jesus, he wanted to reunite us with him, with God, the relationship that was broken in the garden because of our sin, he sent Jesus to reunite so that we're united with God, but he also sent Jesus so that we can be in communion with Jesus, so we can be in a relationship with Jesus. 
And although we, uh, when we give our hearts to, to the Lord, when we say, Lord, I give you my heart, I trust you, it unites us. Being united with God will not be broken. But we can walk away from being in communion with Jesus. If sin continues in our lives, we can lose communion with Christ, or we can lose being in fellowship with him. See, here's what sin does. Sin disrupts our communion with Christ. When we're living in in this life of sin or this attitude of sin or this sense of of self-righteousness or judgmental spirit about things, we're actually separating ourselves from fellowship, from communion with Christ. And then we find ourselves in a place where we're kind of floundering. There almost seems to be a sense of an absence of his presence. We lose confidence in facing the battles that we, we have to come across. We feel that we're left alone. And all of that leads to discomfort. But Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, those who deal with their sin, those who agonize over the fact that they have been in rebellion to God, for they will be comforted, for they will receive the comforter. Take a look at what John 14 says. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray to the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. If we don't, if we break communion with Jesus, comforter isn't there, or we don't sense that, or we don't know how to reconnect with him. And I'm telling you, you you can travel to wherever you want to go in this world. You can indulge yourself in drugs and alcohol and pornography and You can buy as many Happy Meals as you want. You are not going to find the comfort that only Jesus, the comforter, can provide. Where does that start? It starts with Pentheo. When we realize the sin that's been going on in our lives and we, we, we allow Jesus to take that heart and to begin to remold it and reshape it into who we need to be. A hardened heart, Jesus can do nothing. A hardened heart, there is no desire to change. And you can tell someone who has a hardened heart, oh, that, that's just me. Yeah, no, no, you don't have to tell me anything. That's just me. And the heart has been so hardened that although Jesus wants to do something, he can't. Even though brothers and sisters will come alongside and they want to do something, they can't. It's kind of like this. You know, our hearts are in a condition where we can actually... Uh, Jesus never gets tired of, of helping us to be shaped. It's like, you know, in other parts of the Bible, I think it's Jeremiah that says that we are the clay and he's the potter. He will shape us into however he wants to shape us. And so let's say this is us. And we live our lives in such a way that, uh, you know, we try to design ourselves and try to make ourselves to be successful. You know, we, we try to do things on our own. And we think, yeah, yeah, my life's shaping up pretty good. You know, I don't need this, this church kind of stuff. And I don't know if I really uh, have been sinning in my life. You know, you can talk about it all you want, but I might look at my life. It's really good. And, uh, you know, sometimes we can end up to be a, a pretty good-looking individual. Okay? This is hypothetical, not me, right? But, you know, we shape ourselves. We say, okay, nothing's wrong. But, you know, along the way... Sin enters the picture. 
Maybe it hits our heart. And if we don't deal with that, maybe sin enters into our minds. Or maybe our hands get dirty. We start engaging in things that we shouldn't. And we're living a life that although we shaped it, is beginning to attract and accumulate sin in our lives. Here's what I think God is saying. When you're in a state of pantheo, when you're, you're, you're agonized over your sin and you realize that man, what you've been doing is not according to the, the ways of God, that you allow God to continue to shape you. Blessed are those who mourn, those who are sad because we have sin in our lives, for they will be comforted. How will they be comforted? We subject ourselves to Jesus and he then forgives us from our sins. And if he has to break us, we give him permission. God, break me. Break me down to my bare essentials. And we give him permission continually to shape us again. And he shapes us according to how he wants us to be shaped. And he can do this again and again and again. You know, they say people who work with clay, they say clay can be used forever. As long as you keep, keep it moist and you keep it pliable. That it can be used again and again and again. Let me contrast that to make my point. Sometimes we live our lives in such a way that we shape ourselves and rather than allow God to continually mold us and shape us and when the sin involved in our life, that we allow him to remove that, we ask for forgiveness. Instead, we live our lives in such a way that we end up looking how we want to look like. You ever seen this? This is my duck. <laughs> this is my second, I think it was second grade. It's supposed to be a duck. I don't know, platypus. It's supposed to be a duck. Now, is this, is this cute? Is it nice looking? No. It's ugly. <laughs> but sometimes we don't want to hurt people. We want them to be happy. And so we say, oh, yeah, you know, go ahead. Yeah, live your life the way that you want to live. You know, that's not hurting anybody. You just be who you want to be. And we end up like this. And when someone comes in or God comes in, he says, hey, you know, you mind if I come and try and shape you? He says, no, 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 don't, don't bother me. I'm set in my ways. This is me. This is how I am. You will not be able to change. I don't need that stuff that you're talking about. You know, we reject the comforter. And we end up hardened and there's nothing that we can do and the danger is that sometimes it passes on from generation to generation that's mine second grade you want to see brandon's artistic ability they go look at that <laughs> you know what they say the fruit doesn't fall far from the tree well this one got damaged <laughs> i mean he came home one day you know from i think this is his second grade thing he said, Dad, check this out. And I go, oh, nice. Uh, it's a little vase. He goes, no, that's a battleship Galactica. And all of these spokes are supposed to be his spaceship. And they're supposed to be this, this driver over here. And, you know, he, he brings us home. And it's like, you know, somebody walking into your life and going, well, this is me. This is me. You know, we're hurting everybody because it's so pokey. You know, we're getting, we're getting irritating. We're rubbing people the wrong way, but, and people want to correct us, and God wants to do something with us. But we've already been hardened, and there's nothing that you can do. And God wants to, but there's nothing he can do. You know what changes all of this? 
and allows us to live like this, Pentheo, when we mourn over our sins, then we will be comforted. Then we'll allow God to begin to reshape and form us the way that he wants us to be formed. And it can go on forever through our whole life. So how do you do that? What are some of the things that we got to do to get ourselves into the hands of God so he can begin to shape our lives? Well, let me leave you with three things. Number one, let, the, let God's word read you daily. You know, we encourage you to read the Bible, to do your devotions, to read whatever scripture. You can read the Bible, but here's, let, me, let me push on that a little bit. Let the scriptures read you. Let the scriptures read you and point out to you the areas in your life that you may need to allow God's hand to get involved in rather than you shape your own life. Let the words of God read you. Psalm 139 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there's any hurtful way in me. Then, God, shape me into who you want me to be. You're giving him permission to read you It keeps your heart pliable. It keeps your life moldable, your opinions and your attitudes. The second is this, as we talked about Pentheo, mourn, mourn over your sins daily, every day. Repentance is a daily thing, folks. It's not something we come to church and we say, you know, Lord, forgive me for my sin, therefore I'm accepted, I receive salvation, and we're done. No, it's not it. We are sinners in need of repentance daily. Take a look at what 1 John 1 says. But if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the pantheo, the mourning over your sins, so that he can forgive you of your sins he can cleanse you from all unrighteousness and then begin to shape you again. Here's a third thing. Let godly sorrow lead you to repentance daily. That the sorrow you go through in your life as you recognize and realize your sins, let it shape you and change you. Word repentance is all about change. Let it change you day after day, one glory after another, See, it's our responsibility. If we want to be changed, if we want to be molded, if we want to be comforted by God, we have to take the first step. It begins with us. Take a look at what James 4 says. Therefore, submit to God. Circle that, okay? These are all action words that requires us to take the initiative. Therefore, submit to God. You submit to God. Resist the devil. Who resists the devil? You resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God, you draw near to God, and he'll then draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of God, and he will lift you up. It begins, everything begins with us that we have to take that step before God will comfort you. You know, we've been going on, this uh, pandemic and all that has been going on for a year now, things are beginning to open up. 
maybe some of us really be, need to begin to reconnect and re-engage. Um, it's been great, you know, providing you with a service online, but there is a need for all of us, all of us, those who are coming in person, those of you that are watching online, to really reconnect and re-engage. Get involved with a small group somewhere. Jump in one of our life groups. It'll help you to recognize the things that are going on in your life. Maybe some of you need to be baptized. Hey, baptism is something that we do it on demand here. So if you have a, a need or you sense that you just need to be baptized, let us know. Give our office a call. Write to us, info at metrochristianchurch.com. And we'd love to get together with you and get you baptized. Maybe some of you that are listening to this broadcast just need to get it right with Jesus. And I want to take care of that right now. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for allowing us to understand your word and just the words that you preach on that mountainside 2,000 years ago, Lord, is still applicable to us today. Help us, Father, to realize that when we, are, when we sin in our lives, not if we sin, when we sin in our lives, that we will mourn over that, understanding that you will forgive us for our sins. And that's when we realize the comfort that you bring, that your Holy Spirit brings. Father, some that are listening to this broadcast have not yet accepted you as Lord and Savior. And the whole, their whole first step into this new life with you begins with that. And if you haven't yet opened up your heart to Jesus, just say this in your heart. Jesus, thank you that you came, and that you died for my sins, that you rose again to show me of, of life everlasting. Lord, I, I give you my life right now. I, I want to live a new life. I'm looking for that new way of living that you preached to those over 2,000 years ago. And it starts with this step in me to mourn over my sin, to ask you for forgiveness, which you give so freely, and to now walk with you. Father, that's the prayer of, of our hearts. We pray, Lord God, that you continue to guide us along your way, that we be comforted by you, that we can celebrate with you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining us again. You know, join us on Sunday mornings at 8 and 10. We meet right here, live in person. We'd love to celebrate with you. God bless you. We'll see you guys next week. Thank you for listening. We invite you to think of someone who might benefit from listening to this message and share this podcast with them. Also, connect with us on Facebook at Metro Christian Church and Instagram at MCC Hawaii. Have a blessed day and we'll see you soon.